this was all circulating around the base that a giant had been killed, but no one was supposed to talk about it. I saw three long bony fingers reach up underneath the door, curl up to grab it, and then disappear. When he came over to me, dude, he slithered over to me. And this giant comes out of the cave and they're all frozen. And he starts running and firing at this giant. Well, the giant moves. He's got a spear in one hand and he's running really fast and spears Dan and holds him up like this. Somebody yells, shoot him in the face, shoot him in the face. They basically decapitate him. Got closer, got closer, got closer. When he got about 15 yards away from me, I raised that 12 gauge and I blow his head off. I feel something pulling at my leg, and I look over, and there are two small gray entities pulling at me, and they're literally, I'm getting pulled off the bed. I reach my hand into this bush, and I touch air. Couldn't breathe, and I couldn't move, because I know I'm seeing a monster. Welcome to the show, everybody. You are listening to The Confessionals. I am your host, Tony Merkel, and thank you for being here. If you've had an encounter or story you'd like to share with me on the show, go ahead and shoot me an email. My email address is theconfessionalspodcast at gmail.com. That's theconfessionalspodcast at gmail.com. Or you can go to the website, theconfessionalspodcast.com, hit the connection section, and you can reach me that way as well. Either way works for me. Just get a hold of me. Now, this week, we have the iTunes ratings and reviews. If you go to iTunes and leave a rating and review, you will get a shout-out on the following week's show. So this week's shout-outs is Chris6ST, The Gracious Gratling Grat, Mason Witt, and Mac114. Thanks for going to iTunes and leaving the rating and review. It helps the show out a lot on iTunes with where we get ranked. So thank you very much for doing that. And for the Patreon shout-outs, we have Roger H., Ruth F. and Nate B. Thanks so much for becoming a patron and helping to support the show on a monthly basis. If you want to become a patron and help support the show on a monthly basis, go to patreon.com forward slash the confessionals. That's patreon.com forward slash the confessionals. And there you can see all the different rewards that we have to offer for being a patron on Patreon. Now, this week, we have a different kind of show coming up. We don't have a normal interview like I normally do with an introduction and things like that. This was a phone call that just kind of really rolled with a conversation. And you're going to hear that conversation coming up tonight with Timothy, who is a pastor out of Hawaii and talks about a lot of different things that he's experienced throughout his ministry when it comes to healings, seeing people raised from the dead, even Bigfoot. So tonight's show is a very, very interesting conversation. You're going to get to hear right after this. from Hawaii? Yeah, I am. Uh, my dad was from the East Coast of Baltimore, but my mom is from the islands. Okay. They met in the Navy. Gotcha, gotcha. 
Uh, <laughs> and so do you do a lot of traveling and stuff or what? How's, how's your ministry work? I actually have a church. I have a congregation um, that meets twice a week, but they allow me, I guess, the luxury of going out and doing, uh, I guess, I speak in conferences and I go for private clients, uh, people fly me all over the country, and now it's starting to branch out all over the world. It's been a real unique type of ministry, I gotta say. Yeah, for sure. Uh, so what what kind of like things are you, you know, traveling around doing? I guess you're speaking at conferences. Um, are you like, uh, like what's the tip, the typical topics that they're bringing you in to talk about, or is it just pretty much anything? It's pretty much about healing because my baseline is uh, I was a Catholic growing up all the way until about 20, I guess I was 28, 29, I became a Christian Pentecostal. And then um, I started to search out the Bible. It was too religious for me, the Pentecostal way, the sin and death and all of that stuff, the consequential yeah. God, the conditional God. So I started looking around for loopholes so because <laughs> we're everybody's looking for a loophole but what i found was that the kingdom and grace message kind of fit the way i thought about things and i had had these strange um, inklings and gifts when i was four years old so uh, i started to mesh the two and I, I think i've seen every single type of healing known to man in this ministry so far including raising the dead really yeah, I've seen it over 20 times. Are you serious? That's that's amazing. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, and it's just me, a simple boy from Hawaii, raised in Hawaii. Uh, I've seen some of the most miraculous things. I've seen AIDS healed. I've seen legs grow, like you said. I had a little girl that was born with no fingers. Um, fingers grew in a meeting way back about 12 years ago. I've seen significant things that people wish to see, I guess, but see, wishing and knowing that it can happen is two very far-fetched things to people. Yeah, absolutely. And there, there very much is a, a real dynamic when it comes to uh, placing your faith in God to, uh, I guess, a, a, in a way where like it allows him to use you in these different ways. Uh, and, and that's something that I think even me personally, I, I struggle with because like obviously, I, I believe that these things are are possible, and you know, my grandfather tells me these stories, and I've seen things. Um, nothing like raising the dead, but I, I've seen different things throughout my life that you know, it's like, wow, that that's <laughs> that really looks like a miracle to me. Uh, but right. that what I just said to you, uh, that really looks like a miracle to me, has doubt within the sentence. Uh, within that sentence, mm-hmm. it's like, is that? A miracle or is there just some kind of scientific thing that I just don't <laughs> quite understand? And and there right. there lies the I, I sometimes I feel like that right there in lies the um the deciding factor almost, you know? And it it's it's hard, I think. I think it's really it's it's it can be hard to really put your your complete faith in the God because like people don't want to seem stupid. They don't want to, you know, yeah, ha- like for instance, let me ask you this. Uh and uh-huh. If you, if you, uh, you know, you're going and somebody needs prayer for healing, right? You go into uh-huh. that, into that prayer. Uh, how, how do you go into that prayer with that person to God? Do you go into asking God to heal the person or do you go in? Like, 
or do you go in with a more of a tone of expecting that this is going to happen, you know, and have you ever mm-hmm. prayed for somebody and it, it not happened? And what do you do in that kind of situation? Well, for me, you know, <clears throat> the gifts that have been bestowed upon me, I guess you could say was, uh, you know, I would just go in when I first started to do healing, I would go in, um, wanting it so bad and pushing hard and saying, you know, God healed this person. And then one morning while I was praying, the Lord, he, he revolutionized my whole framework of thinking. He said, it's not up to me and it's not up to you. It's up to the person. So if the person reaches out to you, that's the first step of faith. If you try and coerce somebody into a healing, that are, that's already bordering on witchcraft. This is kind of what I got from the Holy Spirit. Yeah. He said, if you go in wanting them to be healed and they, they don't understand healing or they're not at their final where I got to have this healing, he said, you, you're gambling at that point. Because it's, it's all about free will at this uh, juncture. When If they have the will to be healed, the gift and God will meet their faith. So it has to be the three aspects all working together. So when I go into a, I do a lot of private clients and I also do a lot of ghost busting. So I go into houses and businesses and get rid of uh, poltergeists and spirits of those natures. But when I grab, I, I have a hybrid formula where I grab their hands and I do an exorcism, but I don't allow these demonic spirits to talk to me. I have the person doing little things here and there. I coach them along the way. And ultimately, uh, it ends up with them coughing as hard as they can. And I've seen thousands upon thousands of miracles. And people witnessing have seen bubbles come out of people. They felt wind come out of people. They've smelled things leaving people. Uh, it's just about faith meeting my gift and God all at the same time. Well, that's that's amazing, uh, and I just want to let you know that uh, this is gonna. This is we're doing the interview right now. I, typically, I do this oh, whole okay. production of just going into things, but I think that we're just gonna have a natural conversation and let things roll. Um, yeah. But yeah. you just said that uh, with the whole ghost busting thing that you don't talk yeah. to the demon. You, you you intentionally go into a situation you're not going to talk to that demon. Uh, that's very different to no. than. Um, Catholicism, when Catholic priests do exorcism, right. they're, they're asking, what's your name they, and all that stuff. And and to be mm-hmm. honest with you, I've, yeah. I've always felt uncomfortable with that idea of, you know, asking the name. I, it's like, I don't care what your name is. What, why do I need to know your name? Uh, you know, exactly. it doesn't matter, you, you know. And uh, so exactly. what, what's your what's your philosophy behind this? Is that, is that exactly it, that you just there's no need to know the name or is there something else that's on a deeper level as to what you're trying to avoid when it comes to talking to a demon? Well, this is the way I look at it. Ephesians 2, 6, you know, Paul wrote that we are seated in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. I don't believe in talking to a demon because he is so far below where we are uh, in the kingdom. And as far as uh, putting myself on even terms with a demon or I'm conversing with him, that's not authoritative. That's not domineering. If I really want to cast this demon out, he can't be on my level. He's going to fight. And the person that's uh, holding that demonic spirit or the place, uh, they ultimately get beat up on the inside as these uh, entities don't want to leave. They beat the people up on the inside. 
I've had people cough in blood for weeks because of scratch marks on the inside and bruises all over their bodies. So I, I learned a long time ago, do not put a demonic spirit on my plane of existence spiritually. Okay. Yeah, that's so. I mean, when you're talking about getting beat up, you're actually talking about physically getting beat up on the inside. Physically, they get physical. Yeah, these spirits get physical. Wow. People always reference The Exorcist, right? The movie The Exorcist. Right. It's that that girl's getting beat up in the movie. Now they say you know that is loosely based on, uh, I guess, a real life story, but it was a boy instead of a girl. But I've seen real life. Entities like this take over a person and beds lifting off the ground and walls bleeding and it gets crazy after a while. So I just go in and I just say, look, you're not going to talk to me. You're going to come out of that person right now. And if that person is willing to let go of that spirit, it comes out really easily. So it's a willingness then, like the person that's holding on to that spirit. uh, I mean, I'm assuming that there's possessions that happen that a person they don't want to be possessed and it's they maybe they accidentally opened up a doorway for them to become possessed. Uh, is that, is that the case or is it, I guess when you are experiencing these things and, and you're going into these situations, what's the common thing here? Is there, is there a common thing where people are, you know, possessed because they invited something in or is there some, is, have you ever seen a situation where somebody became possessed and they really didn't do anything? It just, it just happened. Like they were attacked or something. Yeah, well, you know, what we're finding out is there's these doors that open, and all all of it has to do with free will and letting your guard down. So what happens is we see a lot of demonic uh, activity when people play around with Ouija boards or where they're giving their will over to a spirit or even trauma. You get a head injury and you're knocked out. That's you. Your will has just fallen off of you, and these spirits will jump in that way. Um, you also see it in um, as simple as surgery. When you go under anesthesia, you're giving your will and <laughs> yourself over to a doctor, and spirits have come in that way as well. Uh, drug wow. users put needles in their arms. Uh, smokers, you know, put things in themselves. All of these doorways, all of the the gates, the eye gate, the ear gate, the mouth, you know, things come in through those means. So. We see people who, you know, they take loads and loads of pills to medicate themselves, and we've seen spirits come in that way, especially if their their will is down. I've seen it all. Sexual molestation is a big one. You allow spirits to come in that way. You didn't want to, but at some point in time, something overpowered you and took over your will, and that's what we see a lot in my ministry is people have these doorways, you know that they've allowed to creep creep open and spirits come in that way. So I've seen it all, man. (laughs) Wow. So you mentioned uh, the sexual molestation. Are you talking about somebody who's a victim of sexual molestation being possessed? Both, yeah. So the, the victim is getting attacked by a higher level demon who's trying to reproduce. What you see is that person is already demon possessed, so he has uh, an oppression in his mind because uh, demon possession is more a mindset. It's something that you allowed when you were a child, possibly some kind of 
Kirk or you know I, I've referenced these things in my sermons that um the two major spirits at work in the world right now are rejection and jealousy. So everybody that takes on rejection or jealousy formulates some kind of activity. And I don't care how good you are, how clean you are, if you have rejection or jealousy working, these spirits will come in. And I, I'll, I'll give you the reference point is Lucifer was jealous of God and he got rejected by God and cast out of heaven. And he became Satan on the earth. Now he's on the earth. He gets jealous of God's creation, Adam. And he tries to create a rejection between God and Adam. And that's where all of our root spirits uh, come in from those two points, rejection or jealousy. Okay. Now, have you ever come across a situation where you saw somebody uh, demonically possessed that was a Christian? Uh, that's something that I always had a hard time grasping mentally. Uh, I, I was just under the assumption that if the Holy Spirit is within you, uh, there's no more room for something like that to happen. But I might be wrong because I've had other Christians, I've had people tell me that no, Christians can be demonically possessed. And I just I always had a hard time wrapping my mind around that. So, you know, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, well, your spirit man cannot be possessed, but your mind can. So everybody has a mindset and everybody's belief system is totally different than somebody else. So you, you've seen Christians who are hardcore. How can, how can a Christian bomb an abortion clinic that takes on a whole other aspect of demonic you know possession there yeah uh you're gonna kill to save babies who you believe are getting killed that doesn't it flies in the face of reality so you know can a christian be demon possessed i believe his mind can he's he's been conditioned to believe a certain way and then there's the other kind of christian who loves everyone and just kind of turns a blind eye to everything so you know, there's all kinds of ways that you can take a look at it. The spirit man, no. Your spirit can never be possessed, but your mind can be oppressed and occupied. Okay. Yeah, I mean, because I've always, you know, the whole idea of uh, demonic oppression is something that I've had yeah. never had a hard time understanding. Right. Like, I, that's mm -hmm. clear that that can happen. And it doesn't matter how strong you are in your faith. Like, you're, as a, if you're a Christian, uh, you're working for the other team, and so the other, the enemy is going to attack you, and that would be oppression. Um, it, my audience knows, my, and I'll tell you this story here. Uh, so if the audience you know heard the story before, just bear with me. Uh, but uh, Pastor Tim, I I actually a couple years ago, uh, I, I'm a truck driver, and I drive a tractor trailer throughout the Philadelphia region, and um, I was going to this one place pretty often doing deliveries and I got to know the guy who was receiving my freight and he, him and I were having some good conversations and I was getting to know the guy and I'm the kind of person that, you know, if, if the opportunity presents itself, I don't really hesitate to share my faith with somebody. That's just how I am. Uh, I, I don't get pushy with people, but if the opportunity is there, I, it's like second nature for me. I don't even think about it. Sure. Um, and so this guy's telling me his life story and his life story is pretty dramatic. It really is. It's, it's, it's pretty darn dramatic. And he, he got to the point in his life story where it was like more up to date and current. And I asked him, I said, so, cause he's putting his, his he said he was writing a book about his life. And I said to him, so what's the next chapter, next chapter going to be, man? Like, where's, where's, where's your, go where's your life going? And, uh, he looked at me with a very serious face and he said, I'm probably gonna blow my brains out. 
And I, th- that's when, for me, everything just kind of changed. And I said, man, you don't want to do that. God's got plans for your life. And, you know, blowing your brains out is just not part of the equation. Uh, and so when I said that to him, uh, his demeanor changed. He kind of just looked at me and he got really interested in this idea of God. And he acted like he, nobody ever talked to him about God before. And so, you know, I, I, when I was in college and stuff, we, I was part of a street ministry team and I would go out to Philadelphia and local cities and, you know, midnight when we'd be talking to drug dealers and, you know, pimps and all that, you know, just kind of going out there in it. Right. And so, you know, when he said that to me and stuff, I was thinking, well, you know, maybe, maybe, maybe he just doesn't know. And so we're talking a little bit, but I had to get going. So he follows me out to my truck and he's like, I really want to meet with you and talk about this. And I'm like, all right, so we made an appointment to go to his, I made an appointment to go to his house, uh, that Saturday and, uh, you know, to sit down and talk with him about God and what, it, who God is and all those kind of things. And so that was a Tuesday. And by, um, but by, by the time I was done talking to him, I was really excited. And so I called my pastor and I told him what, what had happened. And he told me that during his devotions that day, he felt God telling him to pray for me for a divine encounter that I was going to have that day. And so for me, that was big time confirmation that, wow. you know, my pastor felt the need to pray for me. And um, so, you know, as the weeks going on, I really felt the Holy Spirit was preparing me for this uh, day on Saturday to speak with this guy. And as the week went on, I started getting this more uh, heavy feeling like I was going to be dealing with a lot of demonic uh, things that Saturday. I didn't really understand what, uh, you know, at that time in my life, I wasn't doing this show and I was very, very ignorant to what all that entails. And so, and I still am, but I'm much further along than what I was. Uh, And so, you know, the day before... Uh, Friday came and I was really feeling, I was like, man, I, I'm going to be, there's something going to happen on, on Saturday. I just don't know what. And, and you know, I, I don't need to even explain this to you. You know, like the, the feeling that you have when the Holy Spirit's speaking to you. And that's, that's something that I learned how to listen to uh, over the years. And so I knew God was directing me. And so I, I wasn't scared, but I knew God was preparing me. And I felt comfortable because I felt the Holy Spirit was with me, uh, getting me ready. So Saturday comes and I stopped by the church and I grabbed the Bible and I was talking to my pastor about it. And I told him, you know, I really feel like I'm going to be dealing with some demonic stuff. And he said, you know, when somebody accepts Christ in their life, there's always a spiritual warfare going on. And I, I said, I understand that, but, you know, this seems much different. And uh, so we prayed about it and we, I went to this guy's house, got there at 11 o'clock and when when I got there, I knocked on the door and nobody answered at first. And then the door just kind of opened and it seemed like it opened by itself. And I I, I peeked hey, my yeah. <laughs> I peeked my head in and the house is dark, like it's 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 no lights on kind of thing. And then right. he comes out from behind the door and he, he said, Oh, you showed up. And I said, Yeah, I showed up, you know, I'm here. And he goes, Most people don't show up. <laughs> and uh-huh. hindsight looking back and stuff you know it's like that should have been a sign that something's gonna happen but it, you know i was i was just very right. ignorant and i was like well well you know i'm here you know and so uh, yeah. i i go into uh i go into his house and from floor to ceiling every wall in the living room is filled with pinup girls there probably wasn't an inch of space where there wasn't a pinup right. girl on the wall and so in my head i'm thinking man this guy's a bachelor like definitely no women that live here because no woman that i know would let a guy do that uh and so 
he told me we're going to sit at the dining room table. And uh, as I'm walking through the living room, there's like a half bookshelf that separates the, uh, it's built into the wall and it separates the living room from the dining room. And as I'm passing that bookshelf, I really felt the Holy Spirit just telling me to be aware of the bookshelf. I didn't know what, I didn't hear any, you know, I didn't hear direction or anything. I just felt that God was telling me to be aware of the bookshelf. And as I approached the table, there's two chairs. There was a chair between the table and a window and a chair between a table and a door. And I felt God tell me to sit in the chair between the table and the window. And, uh, and so that's where I sat and we started talking and I, and, and as time went on at the, his house, I started feeling uh, more and more uncomfortable as time went on. Just, just something wasn't sitting right. And I, I didn't have a reason for anything other than just something wasn't sitting right. And so I talked to, I'm talking to him and we're talking about a bunch of different stuff. I mean, his hobbies, things like that. We're going back and forth between the dining room and the kitchen. And in his kitchen, he stripped out so much stuff. Like it didn't even really look like a kitchen. It looked like a workshop and he built those remote control race cars, those RC cars. And, uh, right. he, he's smoking out there and he says to me that, you know, he, he has a bad stomach and he can only eat very, he can only eat very few things. And I remember him on a, being on a very strict diet of, I know he only drank Mountain Dew, which is odd if you have a bad stomach. Uh, and I think it was like ramen noodles or something like that. Like he really didn't eat a whole lot. And, uh, it was just, it was odd. I I even questioned about him like, but you, you're drinking Mountain Dew. And he's like, well, it works for me. I'm like, okay. (laughs) And and so we we go back into his, his dining room and we're sitting down and we're talking and stuff. And, uh, I don't even think God kind of came up in the conversation yet. And we're just building a relationship. And, uh, at one point he, he looked at me and he said, do you believe in ghosts? And right there, it was like inside, it was like something clicked. And I was like, okay, something's starting, you know? And right. I, I said to him, yeah, I believe that, you know, there's ghosts. And, uh, he said, okay, there's, uh, there's seven ghosts in this house. And I, and I said to him, it doesn't surprise me. And that's something that I, whenever I tell this story, I always tell people that's something that I, it was a very common thing throughout the rest of the day. I said that phrase a lot because just something inside of me, I needed him to know that whatever is going to happen, it's not going to catch me off guard, even though it was like a lot of the stuff that happened that day caught me off guard, uh, <laughs> yeah. but I just, I needed to act, I needed to play the game a little bit, I guess. And so I said, it doesn't right. surprise me. And he said, and he, t- he told me, yeah, actually, while you were talking, there was one in the living room here that went through and I just said, it doesn't surprise me. And so, uh, we started talking about God and things like that. And, you know, he said to me, and I always, I always, whenever I tell this story, I always get the, uh, the timeline mixed up a little bit, but, uh, he said to me that, you know, there's a ghost in the house and all that stuff. And we started talking about God and he, he really seemed like he, he was really starting to dig what I was saying. Like, I mean, visually, like I'm looking at a man who is busting at the seam to accept Christ into his life. At least that's what I thought. And so I, I I said to him, I said, man, listen, we're sitting here talking and are you ready to accept Jesus Christ as your savior today? And he looked at me and he's like, yeah, I think I am. And I said, okay, let's pray. And we prayed. And after we were done praying is where things really kind of got, uh, (laughs) things kind of got odd. Um, he, Actually, let me rewind here. Um, before we, we that happened, he's talking to me about the ghost stuff. And I can't remember the details, but he said to me that uh, he, down in his basement was something r- involving these ghosts. 
And he he said, do you want to go down and look? And I was like, no, man, we're going to stay up here. And it turns out that basement door was the door between uh, the door behind the one chair that I, that I felt God tell me not to sit in. And so uh-huh. I, and, and I, when I have a lot of people asking me, you know, what, what do you think would have happened if you went into the basement? And I, I honestly don't know. And I don't want to know, <laughs> but, um, right. th- this guy, we, we pray. And after we're done praying, he reacted in a way that I'd never, and I, I prayed with a lot of people. Uh, I've never seen somebody react this way. He stood up from the table and he started shaking his hands violently. And he's like, I feel this energy. And he's like yelling. And he's like, I feel this energy just rushing through my body. And I'm like, all right. You know, like I'm thinking, well, like, I guess everybody reacts to the Holy Spirit coming into their heart differently. And he's really excited. And he, he, he said, I, I just want to give you a hug. And I said, okay. So I'm thinking, you know, like one of those bro hugs and he comes in full <laughs> frontal body. I mean, body to body squeezes me, puts his head on, on my shoulder and exhales with like a moan. He's like, ah, I'm like, this is weird. <laughs> and, <laughs> and so uh-huh. uh, we, we sat down and we started talking more. And then he did it again for a second time. Uh, and he wanted to hug me. And, and I'm just like, okay, we can hug, I guess. You know, it was just, it was weird. But I, I just didn't know what, I, I didn't know what to make of it, you know. And um, uh-huh. and so we continue our conversation. Now, this is a three-hour conversation. Like, I was at his house for three hours. I'm giving you the cliff notes. Uh, but, right. you know, after the second time we're talking and he said to me, you know, I, I got to tell you, um, I'm a member of the church of Satan. And I was like, ah, oh. it's all, you know, it, these things started clicking in my head. I'm like, okay. <laughs> and, uh, right. he, he stood up from the table and he walked over to that bookshelf that I felt God directing my attention to. And he unstacked some books and he pulls out like two or three books. I, I, I leaned towards three. I think it was three books. And uh, they were satanic books. And he put them down on the table in front of me. And he said, I, I want you to take these books out of my house today. And I, I took my Bible and I set them on top of those books as like as an authoritative gesture. That's the only thing I could think of at the time. Right. And I said to him, uh, I will. I'll take them out of your house for you. And I'm going to burn them. And he go, he yelled at me. He goes, no. He said, don't burn them. He said, and then he kind of like backed off a little bit. He's like, I just don't like people burning books. He's like, I do whatever you want with them. Just don't burn them. And I'm like, all right, man, you don't have to yell at me though. You know, <laughs> like I'm thinking, what the heck? Wow. And so, you know, we, we, I'm sitting there with these books in front of my face and like the, at this point, everything's different. Like the whole environment's changed. And I feel this really like it's evident, like before I felt off, I felt like something was off and I felt oppression in the house. But now it was evident because I knew where it was coming from. I knew this guy's background now. And um, but he's still talking the talk with me like he wants to come to church with me on Sunday and things like that. I'm like, okay, this guy just, you know, he's looking to change his life. And, you know, again, ignorantly. Um, And so. I'm getting ready to kind of wrap things up and he stands up again, comes in for a hug the third time, acts the same way. Like he's has his, all this energy and the same exact thing three times. And after the third time, I was just like, I gotta go, man, I, I gotta go. And so I took his books and I, I, I left the house. And when I left the house, uh, I, I felt like I was leaving something behind, but I also felt like I was bringing something with me too. And I was probably the books, you know? Uh, uh-huh. And, uh, 
And so I called my pastor up, uh, one of the other pastors. I didn't talk to the same pastor from the, that morning. I told him what happened. And I said, I don't want to take these books to my house to throw them away. I said, can I throw them away at the church dumpster? And he said, I could just stuff them down deep down so nobody would see them and find them. Okay. So that's what I did. I go home and I tell everybody, everybody that I talked to, I said, it, it was a good experience because we prayed. He accepted Christ in his life. He said, he's going to come to church on Sunday. You know, I didn't have any, I, I didn't know what else to make of it. You know, uh, and I don't have much experience with this stuff. And Sunday comes and goes, he doesn't show up. And this guy doesn't have a cell phone. He only has a landline and an email. And I email him, we email back and forth. And for two or three weeks, he doesn't show up. And so uh, like after the second or third week, he says to me, you know, I'm going to try something else. This doesn't, isn't working for me. And I'm thinking to myself, dude, you didn't even try. Like you didn't come to church. You didn't talk with me about anything else. Yeah. It was just once, once and done kind of mm-hmm. thing. And I, from that, at that point when that happened, for about a year, I felt like this, um, the only way I can describe it is a wall between me and God. Like, you know, I'm waking up in the mornings, I'm sitting down to read my Bible. And up to that point, I feel like I was really like at a point in my life where it felt like every time I sat down to read that book, something popped off the page of me that I never noticed before. I just, I was like totally engulfed and excited to sit down every morning. Cause I was like, it's going to be good. It's going to be great. And, uh, <laughs> and after that day, things started changing where I'm sitting down and I, I, I'm not getting anything out of my devotion. I, I'm feeling like I'm not connecting right. with the Holy Spirit. I feel like there's this wall that I'm just not hearing from God. And it got to the point where I was, I, I'm waking up in the morning, like, whatever, I'm just going to sleep in because I just, I was like, this is not, I, I don't know what's going on here. And I just never knew what was going on until about a year later. I'm telling my one friend at church that this story that I just told you and everything started clicking right. in my head. Like the Holy Spirit was like, pounding on my heart and my on my mind saying wake up this is exactly what's going on i'm like oh it all connected with me i was like this guy lured me to his house he said to me that most people don't show up and i was like he Uh did this before and and the and and i started talking to different people and stuff and i i think that this guy tried possessing me with a demon uh with his hugging and and things like that and i I don't think it worked but i think that i experienced what i was referring to earlier with the whole demonic oppression and uh i I think i was oppressed big time and over once that happened and i realized what was going on a year later things gradually started getting better with my relationship with god and to be honest with you uh, i still don't feel like i've I've ever gotten back to where I used to be. And that's partly because my work schedule changed. I used to start later in the morning. Now I start in the early morning. So my devotion time has flipped and, uh, and uh, just things have changed. But uh, I, I started feeling like that wall started coming down and I started feel, connecting with God again. And, and uh, mm-hmm. I, I was just like, for me, that's when the light bulb went on that this stuff is very real. And here you are with a right. ministry where you deal with this on a very consistent basis. I mean, you said, what'd you say? Like over a thousand times you dealt with demonic spirits or what, am I misquoting you? Um, probably it's getting, it's over a hundred thousand over the course of wow. 20 odd years. Yeah. It's a lot, especially when I do conferences and people line up for personal ministry. It gets in the hundreds just in that way. I'm constantly busy. Almost every day I'm doing people and houses in my town. And not, you know, not even mentioning when I travel. There's scores and scores of people. I deal with a lot of celebrities in Hollywood as well who call me for personal Is that right? ministry. Or they refer me out to their friends who are struggling with different things. So 
Um, so it, it's taken on a life of its own. But yeah, I deal with demonic things every single day. <laughs> Before we move on to any other things, is there any um, situation that you found yourself in dealing with a demonic person, like a demonically uh, possessed person that stood out from everything else that like you were like, this was a heavy one? Like, did you ever experience like, I don't know, trying to to, uh, exercise a demon and seeing the demon come out of the person or uh, seeing it leave that person and and go into another person? Have you ever experienced anything like that? I found out a long time ago that if I don't give these demonic spirits a destination, they'll just roam around until they find another person, place, or thing to occupy. So I always call on the angels to surround whatever we're doing. And whatever comes out, whatever is expelled, that they will take them and take them straight to the pit of hell and drop them off so that they don't come back. Because what happens is if if a Christian is into casting out demons, but they don't tell them where to go, these things will multiply, and I think Jesus referenced it pretty well, and he said, they'll come and check, and the house will be swept clean, but they'll bring seven more. And what happens is these people get even worse than they were before. The, it, it has to take on that Mark, you know, Mark 16, where it talks about Jesus says, you will cast out demons and you pray in other tongues. So when you said that, uh, America was taking away that spiritual and supernatural. They're dumbing it down. It's because that's the assignment of the demonic realm is to not be cast out and not to allow a Christian to empower himself through praying in tongues or praying of the Holy Spirit. That's the that's what's escalated a lot of these demonic things nowadays. So uh, I've seen demons come out of people and try and jump into other people, but that's when you really have to set the atmosphere before you even start. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure. And, you know, and that's something that I just read in an article that I guess the Catholic Church is actually short uh, on priests that perform exorcisms because there's so many people now demonically possessed that they can't even keep up yeah. with what they need to do. Well, when I was 14, the Roman Catholic Church wanted to send me to Rome. To They called me one of these, well, they said I was mystical. So they wanted to send me, when I was in the ninth grade, right after confirmation, they wanted to send me to Rome to start the process of 
uh, learning how to exercise demons and to do a rite of exorcism. They thought that I had this gift that was that only came around once every two to three or four hundred years. One priest said every five hundred years he thought that this gift came and visited the world. But I just think people just aren't knowledgeable of it. Otherwise, there'd be more of it. So when you were a Catholic, they recognized that you had, uh, you were different. And clearly still, I mean, that's still the case because I don't, I don't care who you are, even if you are a pastor, most pastors don't have the type of ministry that you have doing what you do. So clearly, right. just in the most boiled down terms, you are different. Uh, did they did they say what was pointing them to that reasoning and fact that you were different? Did you experience these types of things since you were a young age that made that evident? Yeah, when I was four, I started walking around and telling my mom and my dad that people had numbers on their heads. And they were like, what are you talking about? I said, this man has a number on his head. And what started to come out was that was a date on people's heads, and that was the day they were going to leave Earth. And I started foretelling when people were going to die. And that started to get non-coincidental anymore. It was like regular. So I started having these meetings with priests and stuff. And I always saw people within six months of their passing, this date would begin to appear on their head. And I'd be like, I, see, I was four. I didn't quite understand what was going on. So they took me to the priest, and the priest would interview me. Oh, okay, you see, well, what do you see on this person? I said, I don't see anything. And what about this person? And I give them a date. I just give them the number sequence. And that, sure enough, that was the day they would go home to be with the Lord. And it was just starting to be so regular that uh, they had me being interviewed by other priests. So I would have like a council of priests, sometimes one, sometimes three. They would come with these um, tablets and they would take all these notes about what I was saying. And then I would have this prophetic inklings and I would tell them what I was seeing. And a lot of that stuff came to pass uh, real accurate. So they knew I was different. So they had me on course throughout my whole life to try and be a priest. They wanted me to, I guess, join up the club, you know, but I just, my life took on a whole other path. Yeah, for sure. So you have these things happening where you're, you're, you're seeing people's, the, the numbers of the, the date that they're going to die on their forehead. Yeah. Now, I mean, if I walked into pretty much any church in America and said that, this uh, that I, that that was happening to me. I would feel like people would think that I'm dabbling in witchcraft or something like that. Uh, is that right. is that? I mean, have you ever had anybody accuse you of that? Well, when I was little, you see, that's why the Catholics they they paralyze through analyze. You know, they they check, double check, recheck, and then check again. So they had a number of priests coming through from all over the country just to interview me just to make sure that this wasn't some demonic thing or, and you know, they, they would go back and report to their higher ups. So it got all the way back to Rome because when I turned 14, they wanted to ship me out. But the one key they told me was that I would have to be cloistered for about a year to two years, just journaling away from people. And I was like, man, I like girls. I'm going to do this. (laughs) Shot the whole deal down. 
<laughs> never went. My parents were pretty upset because being a priest is like your automatic ticket to heaven, you know. So yeah, yeah, kind of. <laughs> I yeah, I, there's no way I was going to go. So I mean, do you still have that uh, happening today? I still, on occasion, when I go into a place, I can see. And what happens now is that the number will appear real faint. But then I know that if it's really faint, this person has a chance to be healed. So I'll pray with them. I'll talk with them. And I've I've uh, been able to, I guess, extend people's existence way beyond. Because the number wasn't quite fixed. If the number is fixed, they're going to go. I, I already know they're going to go. Wow. So, I mean, that's still happening today to some extent then. Still happening today. Wow. Yeah. Now, when, go ahead. Yeah, so now, now also, you know, I, I have this gift of smell. I can smell cancer in people or I can smell digestive issues. Like different things take on a different smell. So now I'm highly cognizant when I walk into a situation of what's going on with the person even before they tell me. Wow, that's amazing. You know... It's a trippy gift. <laughs> yeah, but I, I'm sure it's normal now for you. I mean, I'm sure you're, you're, you've gotten used to it yeah. and uh, you've learned how to navigate with it and things like that. Uh, you know, your parents, you know, being Roman Catholic, were they, you know, mad at you when you left the Catholic Church and became a Pentecostal? I mean, it's not like you became, you know, <laughs> you know, some yeah. some other, you know, denomination. Like Pentecostalism is pretty darn uh, opposite from Roman Catholics. Right. My dad was working for the Catholic Church when I was in high school. Wow. <laughs> so when I became a Pentecostal later on, you know, he, he he about flipped out because he was a Southern Baptist when he grew up. And, you know, <laughs> he became a Catholic because of my mom. And then my mom was kind of, I don't know if you're familiar with, uh, uh, there's like a Catholic, you know, there's this uh, segment of Catholicism where they're more spiritual, you know, so my parents were dabbling in that stuff. So it wasn't a complete shock, but I would walk into their meetings and I would prophesy over everyone and they would, they'd about have a conniption. (laughs) 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 I was prophesying in the Catholic church. So they kind of knew that I was different. My whole life, I was very different than my siblings or even they were, but my mom is now a Pentecostal. My oh, dad, really? he went on to be with the Lord, yeah. They left the Catholic Church. Wow, okay. Now, so, yeah. I mean, they're pretty much getting ready to ship you to Rome to start this whole process, yeah. and, and, you, and you don't right. do it. Did you feel any pressure from the Catholic Church to, almost as in, like, you really don't have a choice in this. You have to do this. Did anybody, like, kind of push you in and say, listen, you really, you really can't walk away from this? Yeah, they, there was a lot of pressure to join up. But, um, you know, because I spent a lot of time with priests, there were some uh, not-so-good activities that happened uh, with me. And that's kind of part of the reason why I didn't accept that invitation to go to Rome. Because there were some improprieties in the priests and young men, you know, those interactions. A lot of them I found to be gay. You know, a lot of them were pedophiles. A lot of them were different. I ran across a lot of them. And that was uh, one of the main reasons I didn't go, aside from girls and sports. Yeah. 
one of the main things. I didn't want to be lumped in because I could see what was coming down the pike that this was going to be a huge thing that was going to hit the Catholic Church. Yeah. So, I mean, when that opened up, you know, when that door opened up and the whole world found out about that, I don't know, it has to be going on 20 years now, early 2000s when that kind of whole thing blew up. Uh, I mean, that wasn't news to you. You you definitely knew that was going on. Yeah, because I just had a settlement come through from the Roman Catholic Church for things done to me as a child. Uh, just as in just recently or back then when it first came out? Um, the statute of limitations had run out in the state of Hawaii. The legislature had to reopen the ability for victims of clergy abuse to be able to go back in. So they opened a window for that, and I was able to go back and revisit my past. Okay, gotcha. Uh, you know, recently, yeah. and I don't know if uh, you know anything about this, but I recently heard an interview with a uh, a nun who, well, she's not a nun anymore. In fact, I think she's probably passed by now because the, the audio for the recording sounded like it was recorded back in the 60s or 70s. Uh-huh. But she said that she was in a convent. She she joined, you know, I think she was like 13 or 14 when she had started the process of becoming a nun. And she went away and, you know, she lived in the convent. And then she actually, you know, worked her way up to becoming a nun where she committed her entire life to living within the convent. And the whole idea was that, you know, through her suffering, her family would uh, be, you know, I, I guess allowed into paradise you know they they wouldn't they wouldn't go to hell because she of her suffering and she describes some of the things that happened in the convent uh with the priests and you know some of the things that 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 happened were you know the priests coming in and having sexual relations with the nuns and it was like this is okay because you know he is holy and you know it's I don't know. I don't, I don't understand the whole philosophy behind it, but she was saying that they had children by the priests and some of the children were, uh, you know, either aborted or, you know, killed shortly after birth, you know, and it's just like, she opened up this whole doorway to, uh, information that I'd never heard before, but she was saying that, you know, she, how she described how she escaped from the convent because she wasn't allowed to leave and the outside world, it, it, you know, they think, you know, it's like, you know, you can leave anytime you wanted to, but it's like, no, they're, they're pretty much held no. prison inside the convent. Uh, have you ever heard anything right. like that? Yeah. I've heard a lot about stuff like that. I even witnessed uh, priests uh, having a homosexual uh, relationship within the rectory at the church and stuff like that happened all the time. But that was like a whole secret taboo subject. Nobody talked about that stuff. But I think now with all of the recent developments, I think you're going to start hearing more and more and more about that. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a shame. And you know, it's like, you you almost have a hard time believing it because it's, it's so far out there. I mean, but uh, the more time I spend around these types of topics, the more I realize that there's so much truth out there that has, has been left uh, hidden for so long and it's just waiting to come out. And, uh, you know, it, I, I, you would know better than I would, but I believe Jesus said somewhere in the Bible that in the end times, the, these secrets will be revealed. Like it, it's not like right. It's going to happen. The truth will be known. And, you know, right. I, I look around and I start seeing the, the, 
the way the way the world is around us right now and it's so easy for the truth to become known now because of the access of information that we have through the internet and things like that and uh it, it's right. it's 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 really it's really crazy it's really really crazy and um that, that's fascinating though that you were really you could have you could have had the open door to to go very high up in the Catholic Church, and uh, because you liked girls and sports, you decided yeah, not yeah, to. Yeah, and sports, yeah, and I disliked the behavior of some of these priests. Right, so, yeah, it all played into it. Yeah, but you're gonna see the Me Too movement. You know, like people are gonna put a story out there. This happened to me, and then you're gonna have somebody come along saying, "Me too, me too." And then it's going to build like a snowball. It's going to bring the whole thing down. Some of the creepiest places you could ever even walk through are the back rooms of churches, Catholic churches. Uh, it's just a creepy, creepy place. Really? Uh, trust, trust me. <laughs> yeah. Well, what about it Demonic makes it so creepy? It's, there's a presence of evil. There's a, a very tangible uh, existence of evil. Uh, when you walk through the rectories or through the convents, you know there's a there's always that spirit of loneliness, which loneliness has a, is a magnet of its own towards the demonic. So you feel that a lot, and then a lot of priests are alcoholics, you know, as well as chain I heard smokers, that. you know, and all. Yeah, a lot of them were alcoholics. Yeah, and me and a few of my buddies when we were uh, young boys, we got beat up by an alcoholic priest. So that was part of my settlement as well. It wasn't all sexual, but yeah, yeah, physical abuse as well. Now, when and feel free anytime. I, if I ask ask you a question that you feel like you don't want to go into, just let me know. That's fine. Uh, yeah, but, no, no, I'm an open book. Go ahead. Okay. <laughs> so, I mean, when that happened to you, did you, you know, I don't know, talk to your parents about it? You try, but, you know, like you said, they're holy, you know, they can do no wrong. It was that kind of a culture back in the uh, late 60s and through the 70s, you know. Things didn't start to change until 80s and 90s. But, yeah, you, you want to say, but then they hold these priests in such high regard that it's really hard to open your mouth. There's not much you can say without getting a slap back then. You know, child abuse was discipline, right? Right. So there wasn't much you could really say. You know, if you said anything about a priest, you were looked at as being the weird kid, you know, making things up. So it was kind of like that kind of culture. So uh, I'm happy that, you know, everything's rectified itself for me. So Yeah, absolutely. I try and help, uh, I try and help as many as I can now. So, right. So, I mean, you're talking, you mentioned about how, like, it was really creepy in, in some of these, you know, the back rooms or whatever of, of the church, you know, I, I had done, I've done, I think at least two different shows where I had people come on who shared their story of their church that they go to or had gone to and a haunting within the church. And a lot of yeah. people, I, I was just really surprised that a lot of people tend to think that churches can't be haunted. And, and I'm, I'm thinking right. it's just a building. It's literally just bricks and mortar right. building and that's battleground zero. I mean, that's that's where that's where the battleground is. And why would you not think that right. there would be evil presences within a church? You know. Mm -hmm. Well, how many people do you know? They got beat up by a nun or a priest that went to Catholic school way back in the forties, fifties, sixties. You you hear those stories all the time. 
that's already bordering on the demonic, you know, and you're going to beat kids that aren't your own. So those kind of things, those stories existed for a long time. And that's, yeah, if you walk through back rooms of uh, Catholic churches or even Protestant churches, they don't like a lot of light, if you know what I mean. They don't like lights on. They like candles. They like little lamps in dark rooms, you know. It's just a weird existence. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, it's, yeah, <laughs> I think, I think um, the whole demonic realm, the whole, you know, that whole thing is very real and it exists everywhere, uh, anywhere that people are, because people are the whole subject of this storyline, you know, the battle for humanity, uh, you know, between good and evil. And, you know, I talk about, and I'm not, I'm not even sure if this is something that you know much about or anything, but uh, I'm really fascinated with the idea of the Nephilim in the Bible, uh, Genesis 6, chapter, uh, chapter 6, verse 4. You know, it references the Nephilim being in the earth in those days and after. And everybody that I've talked to says that that and after meaning the flood. And we see that throughout the Old Testament, the, the giants being uh, referred to again, or even the word Nephilim. I think it's actually referred to as Nephilim in Numbers 1333, where Joshua sends the spies in and they come back and they say there's right. there's Nephilim in the land and we look like grasshoppers to them. Uh, <laughs> right. Yeah. So, I mean, and, and even the story of David and Goliath. I mean, Goliath, I believe, was a Nephilim. Uh, it, it talks right. about the these giants intermingling with different tribes and uh, the Philistines being one of them. Uh, and so right. when it comes to the whole idea of Nephilim and things like that, uh, you don't get a ton of information as to exactly what these things are or anything like that. I mean, they're you know, dispersed throughout the Bible. And there's a lot... If you, When you actually sit down and you really study the Old Testament, you really can start connecting dots. But uh, one of the things that I found uh, a useful tool, I wouldn't say it's gospel, but I would say it's a useful tool. And I've, I've, I've flipped through it. It's the, the book of Enoch. And it talks about uh, more detail of these things. Have you ever looked into the book of Enoch as far as, you know, you know, maybe finding some truths in the book of Enoch relating to the Bible, because from what I understand in the New Testament, I think, and I can't even tell you what scripture verse it was, but I think it was Paul or Peter actually quoted the book of Enoch. And, and that, that actually would show that the authors of the Bible were human and they read real things and the book of Enoch being one of them. Uh, I'm not saying, mm-hmm. I'm not asking you your opinion as to whether it should be in the Bible or not. I, I don't, I personally don't really care either way. It's, it's out there. And if anybody wants to read it, they can read it. Um, right. But the contents within the book of Enoch, what's your opinion on that? No, I believe that the, the Catholic church took out a lot of the important stuff that they could not explain. So you you also have the book of Adam, right? There's right. The book of Adam. There's there's all these different reference books out there, but nobody wants to talk about them because it has those components in there that you know it'll blow your mind because your mind can't comprehend a lot of what it's talking about. So and it doesn't fit the criteria of church mandated control. So if the church can't control it, they'll just shelve it or take it out completely and hide it from everyone. So, yeah, I believe in a lot of the truths because I've researched a lot of that stuff. The Book of Adam is a really good read because it gives the that human pain and suffering as they were put out of the garden. So part of my teaching is I don't believe that God punished Adam and Eve. 
I believe he put them outside of the garden and then he was going to do a rescue mission. Out of his love for Adam, he was going to go uh, on Adam's terms outside of the garden and rescue them to bring them back to where they should be. And that's where Ephesians 2.6 kicks in. We're seated in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Astonishing legends, and when we're not hunting down ghosts, cryptids, and mysteries, we're listening to the confessionals with Tony Merkel. Yeah, I, you know, one of the things that I, from what I understand, I'm not sure if it's in the book of a book of Enoch or maybe the book of Watchers right. or something like that, but uh, it uh-huh. talks about the dead Nephilim, their spirits becoming demons, uh, and that's a question right. that I've always had throughout my entire life: is where do these demons come from? What what are they like? You know. Did God create the demons or what? Like, I didn't understand. And when I uh-huh. heard that, I was thinking, is that where they come from? Uh, what's your opinion on that? Do, do, you, do you have any opinion, I guess, as to where demons actually come from? Does it say in the Bible? Yeah, no, I believe that there was a race of man before man. I believe there was some entity there because when you get to Genesis 1-1, the earth is without form and void. It was just covered with water. And then when Noah comes along, uh, the the covenant that God tells Noah is that I'll never flood the earth again. Like, hey, wait a minute. You did this before? If you go back to Genesis 1, this place was flooded. So it's kind of a strange take on it, I know, but I believe that there was a race, a pre-Adamic race is what I believe, that became demonic, and God flooded the earth. But those spirits are still there because the Holy Spirit comes and he hovers over the face of the deep. And yeah, that's my take on it. So everything makes sense. If you put the puzzle pieces together correctly, you'll find that the the mysteries aren't really mysteries anymore. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Uh, (laughs) So, I mean, what you're referencing there, is is that what you're talking about? Is that what they call the gap theory? Right. There's a gap, right, between Genesis 1-1 and, you know, before man arrives on the scene, right? So, okay, gotcha. Uh, yeah, it's it's very it's very fascinating stuff. And you know, I, I did a show recently with uh, an ex satanic high wizard. Uh, his name is Zachary King. Have you ever heard of him? Never heard of him. 
Okay. Uh, he has a, he, he's a Catholic now, uh, and he has a ministry right. called, uh, I think it's called All Saints Ministry or something like that. And uh, one of the mm-hmm. things that you know, he talks about is how real witchcraft is uh, and how he used to, you know, he was a high wizard, which, which means that he was supposedly handpicked by Satan. Like he was called into a council and he said, usually when you're called into this council, it's not good. Like you're, you're gonna, you're, you're in for it. I mean, sometimes you might not even survive it kind of thing. And uh, they, they told him that he was chosen to be the next high wizard. And he had the option of accepting that or not, but he said, in all reality, you really don't have much of an of, of an option to not accept right. it. Uh, but at right. the same time, with what you're doing, why would you not accept it? You know. And so he basically talks about how he would travel the entire world to cast spells uh, for kings and, and queens and and Hollywood actors and and musicians and all these high people. And, uh, and he describes like, you know, some of the things that he would do and things like that. Uh, and it's, it's really, I find it very interesting that he tells me this stuff. And now you're telling me that you travel the world doing the exact opposite. You know, you're, you're, you're actually going in and you're, you're doing, you're, you're combating what he used to do where you're praying for the people and you're asking God to heal people and, and things like that. Um, you know, when it comes to those kind of things, uh, is there anything that sticks out in your mind as one of the, the most um, I, I would I, dramatic is a is a, a word that I don't want to describe it as, but uh, I mean, have, mm-hmm. all right. So you said raising the dead. You've seen that a lot of times. Uh, could you tell us right. one of the stories that that had happened that you know you saw a dead body come back to life? Yeah, there was a, a old man. You know, I was married at one time uh, previously to a nurse, and uh, she. She was working the night, well, into the evening, so she would get off around 11, 15 at night. And this particular night, I was outside the hospital waiting for her. And I was a brand new Christian, but she was taking a long time, so I decided to kind of meander around the hallways of the hospital. So I went in, and I was looking around, and uh, she had mentioned that, oh, we had a man pass away. So I'm like, oh, okay. So she was filling out the paperwork and stuff. So I was walking down the hall, and I saw a gurney with obviously a body wrapped up like a mummy. And I was like, man, I wonder if this is you know, within what God can do to raise the dead. And I started playing around. So I started doing this crazy thing like, be healed. I'm alive. You know, just playing around. And the guy, I put my hand on him and he started coughing. Came back to life. He had been dead for about an hour. And that was a, my first experience with that. And then, you know, another time a little girl had been... Uh, at the beach, and she drowned, and uh, there was nobody representing uh, the chaplaincy at the hospital. And I, my friend called me and said, man, can you come over and help us? This family is, like, frantic. They don't want to let the body go. So I went down to the chapel, and the, the little girl, she was gray. And I just said, well, Lord, what do you want me to do, you know? Comfort the family? And he said, I want you to put everybody outside the room. Uh, I said, hey, why don't you guys all take a break out here and, you know, let me go pray for your baby. So they were all out in the hallway, and I went, and the Lord told me, I heard his voice audibly. He said, climb on top of the gurney and breathe into her. And I was like, whoa, this is too crazy, man. If they look in here and see me up on this gurney, that's crazy. So I was like, you're going to have to cover me on this one. And then 
I breathed into the girl. I had after climbing up on top, and she opened her eyes and she started screaming. That's the part they don't uh, tell you in any kind of Bible class on healing that they may not recognize you if they're little and they start screaming. And that's exactly what happened. She screamed because she didn't know who I was. But that little girl is still alive today. Wow. Wow. So, so those, yeah, it happens. It can happen. I mean, all right. So she comes back to life. I mean, what was your, what was your reaction? I mean, you're there. Are are you fully expecting that this is going to happen? Or uh, when she opens her eyes and starts screaming, did you jump back? Like, whoa, like, holy crap. Yeah. I jumped off. Yeah. It was exactly like that. Holy crap. Like, oh my God. I'm gonna, <laughs> so I, I just grab her because she's wrapped up. They have her wrapped up. So I have to unwrap her and she's crying and she wants her mom. And, and then when I brought her out, the parents just fainted. So uh, if you want to be hyper-spiritual, you say they got slain in the Holy Ghost. <laughs> I think they yeah. just fainted because the baby was dead. Now she's alive. There was a young doctor that came by after. He says, well, you know, children sometimes lie dormant. You know, they're not really dead, but we don't pick up on their pulse. <laughs> this girl was gray and there was rigor mortis. There's no way that she was lying dormant. Wow. He he says, yeah, that's the part that grabs me. He says, I've never, I can't explain that. So they try. (laughs) Yeah. yeah, That was freaky. It's happened a bunch of times. I prayed for people who walked into hospice and different places and prayed for people and they've come back. Wow. That's, that's been an interesting life. I'm sure. I'm sure. And I mean, uh, if you don't mind me asking, how old are you? I'm 52. I'll be 53 in August. Oh, so you got plenty of time yet. I mean, you, you got a whole, you got a whole 20, 30, 40 years left in you to be doing this stuff. <laughs> if I really want to go that long, uh, every day I think about retiring. <laughs> so I get thousands, thousands of messages, you know, come through almost on a daily basis. People asking for help or whatever. They call me the John of God of Hawaii. I, I'm sure you're familiar with John of God. I guess he's from South America. Yeah. Wow. That's, yeah, he does the crazy healings and stuff. Yeah. That's, that's incredible. That's absolutely incredible. Uh, when these people that, you know, come back to life, do they ever explain, uh, exp- you know, explain to you or anybody around them? Do they, do they remember anything from the other side? Were they walking with Jesus and they were taken back or, do, you know, you hear these stories of people saying they saw a bright light. Uh, have you ever heard anything like that? Right. Some of them say that there's a hovering that happens, you know, and they come out. It's like you're hovering, looking around at everyone. And I, I've seen all kinds. So I've seen people on, you know, as they're passing away, they're telling me, stop praying. So it's like this spirit is halfway out of the body. I can see into that realm as well. And they're saying, stop praying because I will never be the same again. I'm going to be a burden to my family. So tell them, stop praying so I can go on. I've had that. I've had people talk about the hovering. I've heard people say that they went to heaven, they saw heaven, came back. But the theory is, you know, if you're a non-believer, there's a greater chance of you coming back from the dead than being a believer. Because once you're, this has been my experience, like, uh, if you, if it's a believer and they see Jesus, they ain't coming back. Yeah. 
because <laughs> they know their Lord and Savior. They're familiar with him. So and they are not coming back. Once they cross that threshold of heaven, they are running into his arms and not coming back. So it's usually the non-believer that comes back is my experience. Wow. So, all right. So you say a non-believer comes back. When they come back, usually, yeah. do they, do they, um, is that like a life-changing experience for them? I mean, do you see a lot of the, what's the turnover ratio for them to put their faith in God after that kind of experience? Is it high or low or wouldn't you know? They get, they get happy. <laughs> they get really happy about life because they say, you know, what awaits you on that side is so pure and so pristine and holy that all you can do is laugh your way through this life. So a lot of them have this um, this experience where they say that, man, you can't stop laughing on the other side. And then you come back to this, you want to make everybody laugh. You want to make everybody happy because, man, you don't know what's coming. You better get happy now. You better get excited now about what's to come. So a lot of them have that experience. You know, they talk about how great it is over there. So they're just trying to let everybody they know uh, kind of give them, you know, something to look forward to. Death isn't what we think it is. Yeah. You know, and I, I always get this feeling that when you hear stories like that and somebody who was dead, they came back to life and they describe what they saw on the other side. I always get the feeling that most people walk away from hearing a story like that and think, I don't know what to make of that, but that person's probably crazy. You know what I mean? Like, like it's <laughs> basically all walls go up and it's just, you, it, it's one of those things where the truth can smack you in the face and it doesn't matter if you don't want to believe you're not going to believe it. Right. So a lot of them come back and they just, you know, they are different. They, they said there are not words to describe what's on the other side. That's why they start laughing and they get happy because you can't put it into human words. It's about the, you know, what's to come for you after you pass. Wow. You know, uh, we have a, a friend that, or two friends that are, they're a couple and they're missionaries overseas in the Middle East. And, uh, you know, I, it was, I wasn't talking to them directly. My wife had told me, uh, I was at work and the, the female friend had come over to the house to see my wife and our baby. And, uh, she was telling her about what it's like over there. And, you know, before I heard this, I was, I, like I said earlier to you, I really feel like, you know, in America, we've been over a period of time. It hasn't, didn't happen just yesterday, but over a period of time, we've been stripping the supernatural aspects of God, the characteristics that make God supernatural away from him, uh, in, in an attempt maybe to make him more normal. Uh, and so she's describes to my wife, some of the things that they experienced over there that fly into the face of most things that are generally thought here in America. And one of the things she said was that, you know, they had, I guess, the director of whatever they were doing over there, who's a Christian. I mean, he's he's the director of their Christian organization that is working over there. Um, right. He got in a confrontation with somebody, and this guy cursed him. And he got really sick, and he got pretty much deathly sick. He's on his deathbed. And he said that when he was in the hospital laying there, Jesus appeared before him. Now, you guys remember, this is a, this is a Pentecostal... Right guy like this isn't you know uh, like i i don't really ever i i was raised pentecostal 
And I don't remember hearing people tell me that Jesus appeared before him. I mean, everybody says Pentecostals are, mm-hmm. they're, they're crazy, but like, I've never heard that before. And, you know, like right. he said, he said that, uh, Jesus appeared before him. And it turns out that when that happened, the moment that that happened, the guy that cursed him was at work and fell over dead. And those are things that like, you hear that overseas and it's like, you don't hear that in America. Uh, you, you don't hear that, about that, those kind of things. Do you think that's something that's just because it's not covered in the news? Or do you think that there's blinders on on our culture that doesn't allow us to really see what's really going on around here? Yeah, our culture is all media-driven, right? It's not reality-driven anymore, right? Everything's fake news according to everybody else. But the thing is, yeah, the spiritual blinders are there because we look at things more in a fast-paced environment. In America, we can get anything we want almost any time of day. In the Middle East and different places like that, they can't have the same things. Or Africa, you know, they got to work their faith. So they're used to calling on God and talking to God. And whereas in America, our God has become electronics. So we basically have lost touch with the spiritual realm. So guys like me, we got to come in and remind people that, hey, miracles still exist. We can get them right now if you want them. Wow. That, I, I like you, man. I, really, I, I like you. <laughs> uh, I, I love talking to people uh, that are so open and uh, are willing to share their experiences. And I know you have a ton of experiences to share here. Uh, you know, it, I'm not trying to put an age on you, but it, you do remind me of my grandfather. Talk with my grandfather. Um, you know, I, I played some audio clips on the show in the past of uh, when my grandfather was in the hospital in the town that I was working in. Uh, he was there for about two weeks, and every day after work, I'd I'd go in and see him. And this was about a year before he died. He was just diagnosed with cancer, uh-huh. leading up to it. Uh-huh. And and the conversations I had with him, I, I was fortunate that after a few nights, I was like, I should really record these. And I brought a handheld recorder in, and I recorded them, uh-huh. and not knowing that I was going to have a podcast down the road that I could play them on. And, uh, but you know, some of the stories he shared with me, it was just like, it was amazing. And I was like, why does this not happen anymore? Why, why? Like, cause he's talking to me about back in the sixties, maybe early seventies, you know, these things happening. And it was just like the, the, at least the group that he rolled with, it was just a matter of fact, this is what it was. And and that's what I hear in you. Mm -hmm. Like, it's just like, there is no, you're not sitting here trying to prove anything to anybody that like the proof is in the pudding, you know, it's just like, it's up to the person listening <laughs> to accept yep. or, or not accept what you're, what you're saying, you know, right. and, uh, maybe seeing is believing. So maybe you need to just continue to, to tour, tour the world and, to, and show people that, that <laughs> yeah, God I'll is come real. I'll by you your know? place one day. Yeah. <laughs> hey, I, hey, you're more than welcome. I got a couch you can stay on. Oh, <laughs> uh, hey, there you go. I'll swing through your area one day. We'll have dinner. I'll take uh, you out. Beautiful. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, no, it's it's been an interesting journey to say the least in my life. You know, I've seen everything, so it doesn't surprise me anymore. Let's put it that way. I'm sure. You know, there's there's so much that, and uh, like you and I, we just had a you know an hour long conversation here so far, and. And there's so much things that I know, like just by talking to you, I know there's so many details and stories that you could share uh, that we just don't have time for today. Um, and oh, yeah. so it, it's it's just like somebody like you who has all these life experiences and stuff, 
I personally uh, see very valuable uh, just for if anything else, just to know that I have a, have a contact with somebody who has these kind of, cause for me, it's this, it's faith building. When I hear, right. when I hear stories like this, it builds up my faith. And so mm-hmm. the fact that we're having the opportunity to record just a little bit, just a tiny bit, we just hit on just tiny bits. Uh, but right. what it's going to do is it builds up people's faith. So people that are listening to this show, if they are Christian, uh, it, hopefully it builds their faith and people that maybe aren't Christians, but are, you know, on the fence, like, I don't know how I feel about that. Maybe this is something that would, you know, push them over because they come to my show because they, they know that they believe in the paranormal. At least they like hearing the stories of people's paranormal stories, you know, cryptozoology. Do you know what cryptozoology is by the way? No, I really don't. (laughs) Okay. All right. And, and that's the thing. Like I, uh, it, it, cryptozoology is like uh, Bigfoot, uh, Dogman, uh, oh, yeah. th- these 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 creatures that people say they see, and that's actually how this all started for me because I'm very fascinated mm-hmm. with the topic of Bigfoot. There's a lot of people out there that say they've seen Sasquatch, and for me. I started looking into that and that's how this whole thing started for me. And now it just branched out into all these different types of to- topics with UFOs, aliens and all that stuff. And so people come to my show to hear these types of stories. And so when I have an opportunity, well, I've, seen, I've seen all of those things, by the way, really, you know, I, I, I was in Pocatello, Idaho and I was speaking at a conference there and I saw a Sasquatch and I wondered to myself, I didn't know Idaho had monkeys because he was far off. But it was, he was walking around out in the fields out there, and I was like, wait a minute, there's no monkeys in America. There's no gorilla-type animals. So I asked a couple of people, and they're like, you saw what? And I said, yeah, I saw this this monkey-looking animal. He looked, he looked, he was far away, so I couldn't tell how big he was. But in my estimation, he was huge, maybe seven feet tall. Wow. I've seen UFOs right in Hawaii. You know, when I was a kid, we were camping down at the beach and my friend and I were sitting out there and we saw this, this, uh, circular saucer type thing come out of the water. It hovered over the water because there was a reflection on the water and then it just zipped. It was gone. And he and I looked at each other. We said, we're not telling anybody we saw that. (laughs) (laughs) And he and I, we just made a pact. We're not telling anybody. They think we're crazy. And then sure enough, over the next few weeks, people had reported seeing a UFO over the coast. It was like the West coast of the big Island where I live. And people were reporting it, seeing different things out there. Yeah. We, there's stuff that we cannot explain that is out there. Right. Yeah. Well, I'm a big believer in everything. Well, I'll tell you what, that's something that that's that this conversation just took a turn that I didn't expect. All right. Cause like, um, first of all, you said about the UFO coming out of water. I actually have pictures of a UFO coming out of water. A guy in Canada was right. taking video of a storm coming. He lives on a bay and a storm was coming in. He was right. taking pictures of the lightning hitting the water and things like that. And when he's going back through this video, he wanted to take a screenshot of the lightning, you know, to make it a picture. And he saw, right something come out of the water with one lightning bolt. So you know how fast the lightning bolt is in one lightning right. bolt strike. This thing comes out of the water and you see it in three different frames going up into the sky. And, uh, right. I have, I have those on my phone still. Like I, I want to get this guy on the show. It's just hard to connect with them. Right. But uh-huh. you know, you, 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 you saw UFOs and, and you say, and I think it was in, I, I, you said Idaho. 
Idaho. Okay. Pocatello. So what do you think (laughs) that these things are then? I mean, if you've seen it, then you've had to contemplate on it. So uh, what are your thoughts on it? Because I'll just tell you real quick, my, my thoughts on it, they've been ever evolving since I started looking into the topic. When I first started looking into it uh, as a Christian, uh, an undereducated tr- Christian to say that, uh, I just uh-huh. was like, well, these are just monkeys or you know primates that we haven't <laughs> discovered yet. The more I hear people's stories of these things, the more I hear people saying that it has characteristics and it does certain things that don't seem natural. And you hear you hear this enough where you're like, okay, if what they're saying is true, like they'll, they'll say that it cloaked, meaning it, it pretty much disappeared right in front of them. Uh like right. when you hear those kind of things, that's not your your neighborhood dog. That's not the circus gorilla. Like that's something that's there's something else going on here. Uh, and you know, I tend to think sometimes, and I'm not sold on anything to be honest with you. I, I don't know what these things are, but sometimes I look into the whole idea, right. like we talked about earlier, the whole idea of the Nephilim topic. Uh, I think right. it was the Book of Giants or the Book of Watchers. It talked about the fallen angels not only perverting with women but also all God's right. creations, plants, animals. And when you say animals, right. now it's like, oh, well, is that what this is? I don't know. So, I mean, yeah. what, are, what are your thoughts? I mean, what, what do you think this is? It, it sure looked like, uh, it looked like a big hairy man. <laughs> it's like, oh, it's covered with hair. It's huge. But it is, it looked like one of those from the, you know, those charts where they show the evolution of man, you know, it kind of yeah. looked like, I was like, man, his arms are really long too. I was like, this does not make sense to my human brain. And yeah, exactly what you're describing. All of a sudden he disappears. I'm like, wow. where did he go? So that could be a gift that a lot of people, you know, the gift of discerning of spirits. Maybe you're seeing something in the spiritual realm as well. Wow. That's but the weirdest thing was a faint cry of dogs, you know, like howling. That was kind of eerie <laughs> where I was. Well, what do you, what do you mean? You you heard dogs howling when you like, saw this thing? Howling like they were scared. You know, like the uh, dog was scared of this thing. Yeah. That's a common weird. thing. That's a very common description that a lot of times you'll hear, a, I don't know, just say a farmer who has you know, big dogs and they're there for a purpose that they, they, they work, you know, they're not right. just there to be pet all the time. Uh, and right. they'll say that this dog is the toughest dog in the world. But when this thing approached, it cowered and it hit underneath the porch or something like that. Right. Uh, that's a very common yeah. thing. <laughs> you know, people say that yeah, it's, uh, it's tough. Yeah. We can't explain everything. Right. <laughs> no, no, absolutely. I mean, I, I always tell people that I, I think that more often than not, I'm going to leave this world with a lot more questions than the answers that I have. Uh, <laughs> right. This this show that I have is for people to come forward, share their experiences in hopes that we can start connecting dots the more stories we have. The more experiences that people share with us, the more we can say, okay, there's parallels here. This person experienced this and we can kind of start drawing a picture. But if we don't start bringing the tape, the, if we don't put the puzzle pieces on the table, we'll never solve the puzzle. And so that's what this show is doing. We're bringing sure. puzzle pieces in. Every episode's a new piece of the puzzle. And uh, that's sure. how I approach the show. Uh, and I'll tell you, I, I never would have expected to have you after I told you about my, my initial interest and stuff. You're like, I've seen those too. I'm like, what? <laughs> yeah. I've seen everything. 
That's incredible. It's been an interesting life. Yeah. So we got to talk more. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, I'll tell you what, uh, we've been going for almost an hour and a half, I think. And uh, we'll, if it's okay with you, I'd love to bring you back for a, a patrons episode. Uh, I have uh, patreon.com, which is where people go to help support the show. And what I do for those people is one of the things I do for them is I actually uh, offer a free or not a free. It, I offer them a monthly live show where they actually get to call in and talk to me and the guest. And I would love to have you back as one of those guests so that people that are listening to this right now, who are probably asking themselves a ton of questions that I didn't think to ask, have the opportunity to call in and actually talk with you and engage with you. If that's okay with you. Absolutely. Just let me know when and we'll schedule it. Okay, great, great. Well, Tim, I really appreciate you talking to me and stuff. This was honestly, this was a fascinating conversation that I, I, I wish we could have got it done sooner. I think this was probably the fourth time we tried getting this thing done. And, right. <laughs> and I'm just really glad we got it done. And I'm, I'm looking forward to future conversations with you. Terrific. Yeah, I'm happy to do it. Let me know. Great, great. Well, you take care, sir. All right. You too, Tony. Take care. Nice meeting you. Well, that's the show, everybody. I really hope you enjoyed it. And if you did enjoy it, go ahead and share this show around on social media. Leave it a rating or review on iTunes or become a patron at patreon.com forward slash the confessionals. And before we get out of here, I want to let everybody know I'm looking to change up the outro music over time to this show. What I want to do is I want to actually start having people who are listeners to this show and musicians send me some music that you have created specifically for this show. The thing is, it cannot have any cursing in it. The title of the podcast, The Confessionals, needs to be mentioned in the song somewhere. It needs to be recorded with decent microphone recording equipment. It can't be recorded with an iPhone. It has to be recorded with at least decent equipment and produced decently. And it needs to be between two to five minutes long. If you can create a song that fits those criteria, I'd be happy to start playing it at the end of the show. So go ahead and have some fun doing that. And as always, remember... The truth will set you free, but first, it will piss you off. Do you remember 21st night, September? Love was changing the minds, pretenders. While chasing the clouds away Our hearts was ringing In the key that souls were singing As we danced in the night Remember How the stars stole the night away